Hey, hey, howdy. Happy Tuesday. It is Raw Tools with Luke Slaybaugh. Harold Kuntz of Fox 4 Kansas City joining us to talk some Kansas City Chiefs. Harold was a star in Tulsa, Oklahoma on News on 6. You might remember him from the viral clip of him reacting on air to the Philadelphia Eagles winning the Super Bowl. A very wholesome moment. Harold's great super lively, super personable. You'll love what he has to say about the Chiefs and the Bengals coming up. And a reminder before we get started, if you like the show and if you've liked the previous episodes, please like and subscribe and perhaps leave a comment wherever you get podcasts. I'm going to meander for this monologue because I haven't talked in quite a while. Just got out one of maybe the worst airbnb situations in texas that i've ever had and uh, luckily it was resolved i had went from one dingy dirty place to another and uh, the support team was very reluctant to hand out any sort of refund um, but that's why we play hardball it was a lot of phone calls a lot of back and forth through email and Twitter DM and some public shaming campaigns on my Twitter. Um, But needless to say, uh, all is well. And I won't go too much into the details. But you know how they outsource those help desk solutions, the the call teams and the email teams? Some of the nuances of how we act in America were were lost. In particular, (laughs) did you take videos of the host's activity? No, can't say I did. That's not a normal thing that we would do. But all's well. Got out of it safe. Got out of it healthy. And uh, better luck next time. You know, I'll I'll never say never again to that company, but uh, we came to a resolution. Another thing, I kind of stopped kicking myself. A couple weeks ago, I was tipped off to a story that ended up becoming a national one. Uh one of the NFL coaches uh, being fired. I had a source on the ground in the market where this happened, and I was communicating, and and they were very transparent about what was going on, and I just didn't do some due diligence, and a couple hours later, it was the the Ian Rappaports and the Adam Schefters of the world uh, pounced on it. So uh, you know that these opportunities will come one after another, but something of that scale and that proportions... Uh, it stung a little bit, and I always go back to uh, the phrase, uh, always forward, never backward. Uh, remember it from, from Luke Cage, it's what Pop told Luke Cage, always got to look forward, focus on the future, and that's what 2022 is all about, uh, knowing that the next opportunity is just around the corner. Heck, it's been a good few weeks to start the year, can't complain. Uh, hurt my back in early January, but and back to full strength. You always kick yourself that this is your big opportunity, your big break. But, uh, you know, we're not all defined by just the one outcome or the one big story. It's multiple things over time. So I hope to bring you multiple podcast episodes and, and more great content as the year progresses. Uh, the biggest thing on my mind, though, and you may have seen that I was tweeting up a firestorm this week, uh, kind of went on my Keith Olbermann fire and fury type of <laughs> rage, sadly. Uh, but out in Huntington, West Virginia, 
Couldn't tell you where that is in the state, but I know it's in West Virginia. Uh, Tori Yorgi getting hit by a car. <laughs> Tori was a reporter at WSAZ. Gray television-owned station in West Virginia. She has since joined a station in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, to my knowledge. This happened on her final week on the job. Uh, but went out to a late-night live shot, probably their 11 o'clock newscast, just because of how dark it was, uh, covering a water main break. And right as the, the show cuts to her to go live in the field, um, she got hit by a car on her live shot, indicating that she was one man banding it out there. She was on her own and not well-situated or protected. And I've seen a lot of people go in different directions, some blaming her for not having a reflective vest, for not doing all she could in her power to protect herself, and others going after the local station there in West Virginia uh, that they needed to send out a photographer with her. I would agree with that. Uh, to the, the, the deadpan uh, kind of cluelessness of the anchor on the desk and the director staying on the shot for as long as they did, uh, the producer staying on that shot for as long as they could to, to fill time in a local newscast in Huntington, West Virginia. And I think these are all valid points and arguments. I would n never blame the person who got hit by a car. You cannot, in good faith, argue that the local news conglomerates care about their workers after this. I've said as much online. It has been all about exploiting a predominantly young workforce. Should they ban the multimedia journalists, the one-man band, the MMJ? Absolutely. At a minimum, get rid of solo live shots. I don't care what market you're in. Figure it out. If you can't afford to have people who are exclusively photographers and people who are exclusively reporters, that's the business model that's messed up. That is not an onus on the students of journalism and the young journalists in this country. I'm kind of passionate about this. I was an MMJ, and heck, to this day, I still am. I do all my own stunts. And in a controlled, contained environment like sports, you can get away with that. If you play your cards right, if you're efficient, if you back-time your day, it's totally possible. And the industry's been leaning on this for 15 years. More than that now. Tori got right up after she was hit, talked to the driver, worked things out. She said... She claimed that she wasn't hurt that bad, and the next day she said it was just soreness. If that car is going 40 miles an hour, we don't hear from her. I highly doubt that the managers of that news station thought we were just seconds, inches, perhaps miles per hour away from losing one of our own, from losing one of our family members. And what they did the next night was inexcusable they brought the reporter back on set replayed that moment which had gone viral for all the wrong reasons and used it as a cop-out for her to say i'm fine we're all good and don't blame that anchor tim for the deadness in his eyes when it happened apparently he couldn't see what happened but he sure as shit could hear it <laughs> 
didn't react at all. What a hack. Again, I feel passionate about this. You cannot argue that the gray television, that the next stars, that the Tegnas, that the Cox Media Groups really care about their workers if they allow this to happen without taking any significant action. This station saw that it was going viral. Grace sent the moment out to all their stations and said, share this. You can see the raw video on websites that are not gray owned. And this station said, hey, we're going viral. This is the first time someone outside of Huntington, West Virginia cares about us at all. Here's the scoopity scoop. It is vapid, fruitless, objectionable. They did not take this opportunity to protect their workers or take a stand against the MMJ. What they put on the air does not belong in TV news. If you take it seriously, that wasn't news. That was a PR stunt. That was WWE. That was NASCAR. And not a month earlier, actually probably in early December, a reporter in Omaha, Nebraska, WOWT, gray-owned station, got caught out in this thunderstorm, maybe a tornado warning. One of my friends, Kenton Jewicki from Columbia, Missouri, uh, shared a video of this woman just getting pelted by rain on a one-man band shot. That's not television, and that's not reporting either. I could not explain to you how happy I am to be away from people that exist to exploit their workers. To say, here's $31,000 a year. Figure it out. Live on it. Uh, This is a black eye for gray television. I'm glad that the story is getting the attention it is. But people need to realize these are not suitable working conditions for a Tor Yorgi or anyone. I would not wish this on anyone coming out of college. And this is a small market. I'm sure it is the same in Yuma, Arizona or Peoria, Illinois, where people are forced into these types of conditions. I believe that journalists need to band together and tell these bosses of companies that enforce rules like this and leave people to get hit by cars. Enough is enough. That's all I got to say about that. My guest this week needs no introduction, because we already talked about him earlier. He is the sports anchor and reporter at Fox 4 in Kansas City. It's Harold Koontz. You doing okay? Sure. Having a good day so far? Yeah, man. I'm doing great, man. I'm just, you know, Mondays, um, so I teach classes at a local university, and, uh, and then I have to like sprint right into work. So, uh, so I'm like, and I always get these calls for interviews, so I'm like, all right, I'm going to do them, but I just know I got to squeeze them in, but you know. For people I know, like you, I'm going to definitely do what I can to squeeze it in. Yeah. You said you always get these calls around this time of year? Oh, a few, yeah. It's like the annual, uh, hey, the Chiefs are doing good. Who do we know in Kansas City? That's Harold. <laughs> I, I couldn't think of anyone else to, to go to. And for people listening, I've never actually met Harold in person. However, the first time I did meet you, Harold, was through a phone at Kilkenny's Irish Pub in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, hanging out with Michael Grogan. I believe your wife was there with us as well. Um, yeah, so I was used to do the thing in Tulsa, and 
was uh, enlightened on your career two and a half years at KOTV News on 6 uh, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, best city in the world. And now um, coming up on three years at Fox 4 uh, in Kansas City. Um, contract year? Yeah, well, we just we just resigned. So like uh, last week. So yeah. Oh, congratulations. So how much longer are you going to be sticking around KC? Uh, at least uh, another year. At least another year. That's awesome. Well, I look forward to that. Looking forward to seeing more of your work. What has been the most rewarding moment so far? <laughs> well, it, it's funny because I've been kind of reminiscing on when I got here. It was just after the Chiefs had lost the AFC Championship game to New England. And then since then, they've been to a Super Bowl every year since I've been here. And then, you know, they could be in another Super Bowl now. So it's just, it, it's really kind of the timing of getting to an area when they've been doing such good things. And from a sports perspective, I mean, it keeps you busy. I mean, you have a undefeated college basketball team that gets shut down by COVID, but honestly, now that I think about it, that's really been, I think that was the biggest reward for anybody in our industry. You know, you really have to dig, dig deep into, into feature well and, and like graduation stories or catching up with stories. It was really a, a good judge of your contacts. And I mean, I think I did a pretty suitable job considering I was still relatively new in the market and, and didn't find too many, I didn't have too many contacts, but we were enough to scrap together some stories. And I think some pretty good stories. And I think we're going to look back at this era like, hey, that was the, people still paid attention to us, even though we really didn't have much to talk about. Um, and that helped out. I mean, PR, you know, between PR, you know, helping out with some interviews with team, like professional football players, soccer players, baseball players, especially baseball players, because they were the ones that were hurt the most uh, with the Kansas City Royals here. But that's the that's the biggest thing that helped out, you know, getting those like uh, general manager interviews. But like the comeback stories, those are the ones that I was really the most proud of. The, the graduation stories, filling time, you know. You worked a little bit, so you know, like filling time sometimes it's like, all right, we'll just slap together some stuff and be happy with it. But you know, you really have to dig deep to fill time. And I think that was the proudest accomplishment for, for many of us to get that, to pull that off. Yeah, um, I, I know that feeling of just having to fill time, but also just wanting to put the most meaningful, just value that time and pack it with so much stuff. Sometimes it doesn't have to be super long. It can just be uh, concise and meaningful and, and not have a whole lot of filler to it. Where were you on Sunday night? So I was actually back in the studio taking care of pre and post game. Uh, I was at the wild card game. I'll be at the AFC championship game. But uh, I really I wish I could have not missed out on the divisional round game. That, I, I feel like that's going to be the best of the three games that are at Arrowhead Stadium this year. But and that's not to disrespect Cincinnati. I think Cincinnati's a really good team. And Andy Reid said, like, hey, look, they beat us. You know, there was no fluke. They beat us straight up. Like, they got after them. So, but I, I do think the Arrowhead Stadium postseason experience is a lot different than the Week 15 Paul Brown Stadium experience. That's just me. But, uh, yeah, it's um, – uh, remind me of the original question. Again, I, I, I kind of got 
on a side tangent. <laughs> My apologies. <laughs> I, I, I was curious where you were just to get a gauge of either what the atmosphere was like or, yeah. or what you experienced that yeah. night. Well, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. So I was in the studio. Yeah, correct. Pre and post game, you know, we we're listening to Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, Frank Clark, uh, Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill all talking about their, their big game. But what was so funny is even though you weren't at the stadium, you could still hear the fireworks. Um, not just from the state, not 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 the stadium fireworks, but people were just popping off fireworks outside the station. That's how happy the city of Kansas City was. Because I think this game was the one that they knew or at least have been told, hey, this is going to be the difference between disappointing season or potentially Super Bowl winning season. And it, it, it felt like Independence Day outside the state, outside the station. It really did. I mean, it was like before popping off fireworks, as I said. Everyone was really really happy and i mean i went to a mcdonald's this morning and i i, I literally I, I i just said the cashier just asked like hey how you doing i was like yeah great how are you and he's like you know what you can do whatever you want in 13 seconds and i was just like really <laughs> that's how and just like out of the blue like it's like you can do whatever you want in 13, just remember you can accomplish whatever you want in 13 seconds and i was like what and i was like oh 13 seconds from last night from when of course, Patrick Mahomes got the ball. Tyree killed Travis Kelsey, Harrison Butker field goal, and and now you've got to be uber confident if you're a Chiefs fan, like to the point where basically like the other team has to score with zero seconds on the clock to know that Patrick Mahomes doesn't have a chance. Kind of crazy. They left too much time on the clock for Mahomes twice. Uh, also, Andy Reid dropping the the bar when it gets grim, be the grim reaper. Um, yeah. Classic. Um, what was your biggest takeaway from that win? Honestly, I think it was. If you go back a little, well, I have two takeaways. One, Josh Allen's going to be here for a while. That guy's a stud. Um, there's there's no way you cannot look at that game and say to yourself, Josh Allen did everything humanly possible uh, to go into that atmosphere, get two clutch touchdowns. Of course, the Chiefs defense and secondary was all over the place, but to go into that atmosphere, get two touchdowns was amazing. But the other one is, I think when we just talked about it, you, you, you can't leave any time for Patrick Mahomes anymore. Like he, between him, Travis Kelsey, Travis Kelsey ad-libbing a route to get them in field goal range, literally ad-libbing a route. You can overhear the, the natural sound when you take away all the TV sound and everything where Patrick screaming to Travis, like, you got it, you got it, do it, do it. And then Travis, he was supposed to just run a out route. And he just curls right inside, finds the opening in Buffalo's defense, scampers, they quickly call the timeout. Everybody on the team calls timeout because they prepare for those situations. And then give him Butker in field goal range at 49 yards and he nails it. So it's just, and then the inevitability of in overtime when Buffalo lost the point toss. They knew. I mean, that's the number one ranked defense in the NFL. From a point standpoint, from a pass per game standpoint, from an overall yardage standpoint. And they put up 42 on him. Simple as that. You know, he's he's postseason Mahomes. It's it's literally like watching an NBA team, you know, go through the regular season motions, and all of a sudden you realize, oh, this team's still talented, even though they're a three seed. So that's that's what they are. That's that's what they are. They're, they're, they're gonna we're going to have to get used to a regular season now where they might lose some games or figuring out some things or trying some things. But at the end of the day, you know, postseason, they just, it just ratchets up another level. Plus they've gotten a lot of luck, good fortune, the draw Cincinnati beating Tennessee, some net of games in Kansas city and not what would have been in Nashville. So 
it, it's a ride uh, and it, it's it's just something you reflect upon and you sit there and you're like oh this, i mean your main takeaway is like this guy just he just finds that extra gear and I, sometimes you're just speechless <laughs> really you're just like this is incredible it is incredible to see the talent take over. You mentioned the ad-libbing of the route, the creativity, and just the in-game knowledge and intuition that takes over uh, in those moments. It's an experienced team, but it's still a very fun and creative team. Uh, one of the, the narratives that you'll see in close games like this, saw it in the Super Bowl a few years ago between Atlanta and New England, but a lot of people picking the bone that NFL overtime is unfair. Where do you stand on that debate on the sudden death nature of overtime? You know, Andy Reid was actually just asked about this about um, you know his Monday afternoon presser that he normally has. He was asked about it, and he said he actually stands for both teams getting the ball in overtime because if you recall, the Chiefs have been burnt before. The first of the four consecutive AFC Championship games that they've hosted was against New England when Tom Brady was there, and the Chiefs didn't get the ball in overtime. And the Chiefs petitioned, hey, I think both teams should get the ball to overtime, and it was quickly dismissed. So the Chiefs have been on the stance and on the position of, hey, I think both teams should get a shot in overtime. I think both teams should get a shot in overtime, personally. Um, maybe they can kind of tailor as the regular season rule keeps the same, but in the postseason, hey, let's give both teams a shot here. Maybe they change it for that, but I mean, I understand there's health and safety regulations. They don't want, you know, more plays, more opportunities for players to get concussed or injured. But in the postseason, I think you throw that out the window. You just say, we're going to play it out. You know, like maybe maybe even say it's a 10-minute quarter. We're going to play it out. And if it's still tied, we're going to play another 10-minute And if it's still tied at that point, you go to sudden death. Um, that would be my personal idea. But again, you know, the owners have a say, the players association has a say they had the opportunity three, four years ago, they didn't rule on it. And I'm sure it'll be revisited yet again. And more teams might be undecided. Now, granted, we had two offenses who were not getting stopped. So that's why it seems so unfair. So it really came down to a coin toss, but not every game is going to be like that. Like if you watch a Pittsburgh Baltimore game, like a Pittsburgh Baltimore overtime, that was at the end of the regular season. Yeah, I mean, you figured maybe one of these teams is going to get stopped. But this game, no, nah, you didn't know I was going to stop. It was going to come down to the point time. It will be revisited for sure. And maybe there's they institute rules for it. But there's a lot of old heads out there, you know, a lot of old traditionalists who say, hey, you know what, this, we're defensive guys. We, you got to stop them. So it, it, it's up to what the, the purists think, really. And not us fans. <laughs> and another argument, either for or against the purists, that uh, Pittsburgh-Detroit game where no one wanted to score. And they just kept coughing the ball up at, over yeah. and over again. Yeah. <laughs> um, as, yeah. we're talk as we're talking Monday afternoon, uh, Kansas City is a seven-point favorite over the Cincinnati Bengals in the AFC Championship game. They did lose in December uh, to Cincinnati. How does this rematch Herald favor the Chiefs? Well, they've seen them, and Andy Reid never really loses to a team twice in a year. That's, that's very rare that he loses to a team twice in a year. So you come into that knowing that with the knowledge of Andy Reid, rematch, more film, 
more time to prepare, more wrinkles, uh, they'll be do good. What really stands out for me is one thing. The Bengals won because of Jamari Chase. He had 260 yards receiving, I believe, in that game, if I'm not mistaken, maybe 261. And he lit them up, and they tried to go single coverage. Cincinnati had faced a third and 27. Chiefs went zero blitz on that one play. Who else was, who else was it except Jamari Chase that caught that ball, burnt them? Cincinnati beat them straight up. They, they outcoached them. Um, they played better defense in the second half. They held the Chiefs to three points in the second half in that game. Uh, and the Chiefs blew uh, four, two 14-point leads and an 11-point lead. So Cincinnati did everything they could to beat them. And they have more confidence because they just went to the one seed and one, even though Burrow got sacked nine times. But if we look back at that Cincinnati game, the defensive line didn't really pressure Joe Burrow that well. They got two sacks, but it wasn't to the same extent that the Titans did. So the adjustments they need to make is, one, find a way to limit Jamar Chase, which they will. They found a way to limit Stephon Diggs, the three catches for seven yards, I believe. But of course, Gabriel Davis went off. So you got to find a way to you got to find a way to limit Jamar Chase and T. Higgins and a couple of those other guys. Just you got to live with the results. Um, two, your defense has to ensure that you get pressure on Joe Burrow. You have to throw off his time. And I think they learned their lesson for that. They're going to learn it more by watching the tape again. And even Patrick Mahomes, who somehow has a knack for these things, said, all right, we're going to see you again in the playoffs. Now, he may not have thought he was a championship, but for some reason, he knew he was going to see Josh Allen in the playoffs. He knew he was going to see Joe Burrow in the playoffs. And he's getting his wish. And Patrick Mahomes' revenge level, if you thought Grim Reaper mode was high, revenge level Patrick Mahomes is petty. They call him Petty Patrick because he, he will remember things. He remembers what's said. A lot of these guys in the locker room, they remember what was said at that Cincinnati game. They were disappointed, too, because they lost home field advantage. Now they got it back. And that leads to the third biggest thing was the games in Kansas City. It's a playoff game. Arrowhead goes up to a different level. Even though the game will be afternoon, not night game, it's going to ratchet up two, three notches. And, yes, Tennessee was a tough place to play. Yes, the pressure of winning their first playoff game in 31 years as a franchise was a lot of pressure. Yes, Joe Burrow seems very cool and nonchalant and in a very confident type of cocky way that he kind of carries himself and it permeates through the team. But so does Patrick Mahomes. So you got to give the edge to the home team here. I mean, Vegas putting him at seven, you know, is fair. And I would not be surprised if that thing goes to eight or nine. I would not be surprised one bit. Just after what they've seen last week where they know it's like, all right, this guy's determined to win. This team's determined to win. They know this is – I mean, they're, they're getting to the last ride here, especially with Travis Kelsey. He's getting up there in age and a couple of those vets. But, man, it's, it, it's something where, like, they know what to do. They want the revenge. And that's what they seek out to do. You mentioned the onus being – on defense, on the the line to pressure Joe Burrow, but also the secondary trying to contain or live with the results that Jamar Chase brings in, or T. Higgins. I covered T in high school, and I love him. I love that family very much. Who do you think has more pressure on them, the the line or the secondary? I'd say line, because they're a prouder group. I mean, uh, Jaron Reed was an acquisition that came in. He's kind of played decently in the postseason, but he's still got a lot to, to motor out there and prove. 
Frank Clark, you would never figure out, is fifth in the NFL history in postseason sacks. One more sack, he ties Reggie White. And we think of Reggie White like a legend in the Hall of Famer. You would never put Frank Clark in that list with Reggie White, but there he is. Chris Jones is, is a guy that on defensive line, nine and a half sacks. He's been huge. He's been motivated. He's been hyped. Every Friday he does these like little hype things where he gets the crowd hyped up and ready to go on his Zoom. And then Melvin Ingram. The addition of Melvin Ingram has been so huge to that line. He's made them an angrier group. He's made them a prouder group. And he's made them a group that wants to wreak havoc. Him especially. He was playing like a madman on Sunday. And he saved, he, saved, he saved certain routes. He saved certain bites simply to make sure. Uh, I'm, I'm sounding like a team. You guys didn't say bites. But he, saved, he saved certain uh, stunts, I should say, just for that game alone. Now, did it work? No, because Josh Allen is a freak of nature and a human wrecking ball. and He's like a tight end playing quarterback. But he really went all out. And that's a proud group. Yeah, so the easy answer is secondary, but I say defensive line just because they're such a proud group that's so prideful that they're going to try to make an impact. And they see that the Titans had nine sacks on Burroughs, and they want to tie them. They want to beat that. That's how proud of a group they are. So I go with defensive line. You mentioned Reggie White. Uh, your roots are from Tennessee, right? So you followed yeah. the balls in your time? Yeah, sure did. Unfortunately, awesome. I'm a Vanderbilt fan. <laughs> are you really? Yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a nice stadium, but I got you. Yeah, Reggie White, legend. Um, what are your plans for Super Bowl coverage this year at Fox 4? So um, I, I get AFC Championship duty, so I won't get Super Bowl duty this year, unfortunately. But, I, I mean, I still have to do pregame, postgame, uh, Super Bowl day. And then throughout the week, we have three specials per day because um, hashtag local news. Um, 9 a.m. to 10 a.m., uh, 6.30 to 7, and then we have one from the outrageous time of 11 p.m. to 11.30 because, again, hashtag local news. Uh, you know, they have ads they can sell. They don't think about human beings at this point, so let, let's make you work 13-hour days, six, days of, six, seven days in a row. But, you know, that's not me being mad about anything or anything of that nature, you know. But, um, yeah, we'll keep busy, you know, future stories. And um, we'll be following with all the, the Zooms. The Super Bowl this year, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, will be Zoom. Thursday is travel day. Friday will be uh, a big outdoor day where the people, where all the players will be available for both teams uh, on Friday. And then Saturday is obviously a rest day. Sunday is the big game. So um, L.A. duty will be interesting if, of course, the Chiefs beat the Bengals because – our crew won't even go out there until probably Thursday. Um, you know, in a normal Super Bowl year, pre-COVID, you're out there Sunday, Monday's media day, Tuesday's availability, Wednesday's availability, Thursday, you know, you know the routine. So a little different with COVID rules. And as far as, of course, being in California, where they're more stricter with COVID, mm-hmm. so things will be, I'm sure, socially distanced and spaced out. But we'll keep everything here Monday through Wednesday. We'll grind it out and we'll turn out as many stories as we possibly can, which is going to be about five a day. Cause again, we have three specials to fill and local news. I'm, I'm, I'm happy that you're forth, forthright about that. I was airing on the conservative side, just talking about local news. Cause I didn't know what you were and weren't comfortable with, but yeah. Um, 
I'm surprised. Oh, no, that... I, I, I've been around enough to know. It, it's just, you know, you don't have to fool around, beat around the bush with me. I mean, I understand it, but, you know, it's also like, yeah, you know, something's got to pay for health insurance. So, yeah. I, I totally agree. You know, I'm even su- the, the local news trope is kind of like markets 10 through 100 is do you want more local news and audiences are like well you know not really well guess what we just did we added a four o'clock newscast and uh, this special hey, and blah 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 so guess, I was, what our about to do a, guess what our station's about to do in about two three months four yeah. o'clock newscast jesus I was always I was always curious about like the four thirty a.m. newscast. It's like, yeah, people could theoretically be awake in that hour, but also like six a.m. Maybe like, or do we do we need to to rotate like the thirty hour wheel and recut everything? I don't know. That's a story for another time. Um, I'm surprised, even though that that Next Star is like putting that much crew and resources uh, into L.A. Um, I know, I mean, you guys are a chief's powerhouse and you guys do well, but, um, I think it wasn't it last year that they, they cut back severely and were like not sending a whole bunch of people to Tampa. Yeah. Yeah. We cut back a little bit. Um, well, actually, no, I think about, we sent the whole, we still sent a whole crew. Uh, we still sent, uh, three reporters. Well, our main anchor, um, a morning anchor because our morning show is really popular. And then uh our sports uh well there's only two sports guys so the other sports guy uh because you know quote a tenure that's why he gets to go um so time he's been at the station for 10 years so tenure but um yeah, and who knows why those decisions are ever made the way they are. I mean, we'll try to figure that out for years, but decades, actually. So, or however long local news tends, you know, stays afloat. But, yeah, it's um, – Next Star is still sending people to Beijing for the Olympics, and NBC is not, you know, the errors of the Olympics. So, I mean, look, those are decisions made by people in a much higher place than I am. But, yeah, there are some questions. There, there are definitely some questions, for sure. Yeah, I had a situation as well. My supervisor had been there for 10 years, so didn't really get to say much or have much of a say in that anyway. Um, Pivoting back to the Chiefs right quick. um, I'm surprised as we go through these head coaching rounds of interviews and teams are publicly saying, we've interviewed Brian Dable and we've interviewed this person and that person. Um, Eric Bienvenu's name has not come up I haven't seen it. Maybe it's come up once, but I haven't seen it. How surprised are you uh, that he's not getting calls? You know, it's funny. I was actually asked this question a couple times earlier today. I mean, I've gotten to know Eric the enemy well. He does a lot in the community. Um, he's helped personally me out in the community with a couple things to do with uh, kids for urban youth in the area. Um, I mean, he's, 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 a, he's a brother. You know, I like to say he's a brother. You know, he's a, he's a real one. And uh, he always wants to be a head coach. But I think part of it is the interviews just haven't been very, um, shall we say, I don't know the right word is soothing enough, enough for owners, but it's, 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 it just hasn't had the right touch, if you will. Anybody in that roster you ask since, he's definitely head coaching material. And I think what it is, is it has to do with the interview because – his head coach. He's not qualified. He's overqualified to be a head coach. 
that people just don't want to give him that opportunity. He's had, he's going on this third year now of interviews. He's a hot commodity the last two years. His name's kind of slowed down. Now they're looking for other guys like Demetra Ryan and a couple other names that have been mentioned. Obviously, Leslie Frazier, Todd Bowles, Byron Leftwich. Um, all on Super Bowl caliber teams. They're, the enemy's still sitting there. And sometimes you just have to look at the resume, but I think it's going to take a bold move from an owner and a general manager that says, you know what, I'm going to kind of step out and let the head coach be the head coach. I've said this about the NFL plenty of times. It's run by men. And a lot of times hard-headed men who think they know everything. So you can't have two alphas in one room because they're going to argue. Somebody has to kind of be the, the beta, if you will. Eric Bieniemy is an alpha guy. He, he, he thinks what his system, he says goes. It's hard to convince him otherwise that he's not the guy or he can't figure out things. But he lays down the game plans. He lays down the, the goal line situations. He lays down everything you need to be as a head coach to get the job done. A team just has to be a bold and, and, and take the pick on him. I mean, I asked him last year, does he feel sorry that he's the face of this? And he said, you know what? Yeah, I want to be a head coach, but all I can do is continue to keep doing what I'm doing and keep chopping wood. That's what he likes to say, chopping wood. He's a, he's a very football-isms guy. You know, he, he likes to say, like, it's all about the letters in NFL, W's and L's. We want W's, not L's. He, he says a lot of football-isms. And maybe that, doesn't, that reproach, approach doesn't work. But, again, he's a guy that you sit there and you're setting yourself, he should be successful and whatever line, whatever head coaching job he does. If you put him in the right situation, he'll be successful. So I, I don't know what's holding back other teams, but hopefully that time comes for him. It's it's sad to hear that someone being authentically themselves, you mentioned Eric being an alpha, is disqualifying or off-putting to either an owner or a general manager. And also in terms of fit, like in my opinion, I thought that, you know, Chicago would have been a good landing spot for Eric Bieniemy, but they just hired an Andy Reid offensive coordinator, and it didn't turn out really well. Yeah. So it's really, it's just, it's it's bad optics, but also just bad timing on their part, and it, and it feels uh, just kind of lousy at this point. Like you said, it's overplayed. It's been going on for way too long. Yeah. No, I mean, well, let's think about this. The one before Matt Nagy was Doug Peterson. And last I checked, he has a Super Bowl ring. So, yeah, I mean. It's all about situation and fit. I mean, Doug Peterson went to the Eagles. Now, granted, you look at the Eagles' records, and that 2018 Super Bowl is astonishing. Like, it, it, you just like, you're just like, that's just like a, that's like a diamond and a bunch of talcum powder. You're just like, wow, that came out of nowhere with Nick Foles. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that, that's something that happened. But yeah, I mean, Doug Peterson was successful. He'll be interviewed again, I'm sure, for jobs after his really year-long sabbatical for football. And, yeah, I mean, Andy Reid's assistants have a history of sometimes underperforming. Don't get me wrong, but one of them's got to work. I mean, Bill Belichick's assistants have a have a history of not working. You ever heard of Matt Patricia? So, but, I mean, Mike Vrabel played under him. He's doing pretty well with the Titans. So, you just got to find the right – you got to find the right mix. and it, You just got to find the, the holy trinity of president – general manager, head coach, and then quarterback. quarterback. Once you find that, once you find that, and, and the Chiefs have that. The Chiefs have the model of that. because 
the ownership was in support of the head coach, which is in support of the general manager, which is definitely in support of the quarterback. So that's why it works. How about your Eagles? Uh, they're still working it out between quarterback, head coach, and ownership, but um, they surprised everyone this year by making the playoffs. Where do you stand with them? I think you build around Jalen Hurts. There's not many quarterbacks in the draft coming up that really you know, are like, oh, this is the guy. I mean, they've got three draft picks in the first round. they got to shore up the line. they got to short both sides of the ball with the line, uh, defensively and offensively. Um, and you got to give him another weapon. I mean, Jalen Rieger was a guy that was a first-round pick. They skipped on Justin Jefferson for him. And, well, we see the results of what Justin Jefferson is doing with Kirk Cousins in Minnesota. So they got to they got to bog down, get some weaponry for him. You know, they got the running game as long as they stay healthy with Boston Scott and, and Miles Sanders. He's healthy, but they just need to find some weapons and build the defense. Keep building around him. And he's got to do some work as a passer. I think I think he gets it because he said my offseason starts tomorrow after the loss against Tampa Bay. And he's got to get better as a passer. He's got to develop better. He's got the he's got the goods. I think he's got the potential to be there and make it work. He's got the mobility. He's got the arm strength. Just gotta get just gotta get the work, develop, develop, develop. I mean, Nick Sirianni's still trying to prove his cloud as the head coach, too. This is his first year. So, you know, you can beat the Washingtons. The New York Giants, but you got to beat the big boys, and that's where the next the next level is. So, good start, young man. Continue to improve because it gets you know you got to Tampa showed them how to play real football, and they need to get to that level where they can play real football. I, I know you've got a busy day, so I'll let you go. But right quick, um, if you had to pick today, Super Bowl matchup for the Kansas City Chiefs. Which matchup would you rather see against the Rams or the 49ers? I'd like to see the Rams because, I mean, like, you know, when you think outside of it, I'm, I'm still a football fan. And I want to see that star-studded all-in Rams team go up against a Chiefs team that I think is also all-in. Now, yes, the game will be in L.A. Yes, the Rams play at that stadium. Yes, the Chiefs played a team in their own stadium for the Super Bowl last year. But I just believe that if you want to go out on top, you got to beat the best. And the Rams right now are playing at an exceptional level. They got a gift to San Francisco beat Green Bay. And I think that 49ers-Rams game is going to be an absolute fest. Just because they played the last week of the season with a lot on the line, and they went all in. And if you're facing San Francisco, you still got to deal about Debo Samuel. But, look, the Chiefs have played the 49ers. We've seen that before. Um, I want to see them up against the best. And I think part of the Chiefs want to see, want to go through that revenge of, okay, maybe stop reading the Bucks, but we get the their home stadium again. And trust me, Tampa's home stadium with a COVID crowd of 30% is not going to be like where it's open to everybody. There will be Chiefs fans there. And they played the Chargers there. So they know. I mean, they, they're just going to want to take it as a challenge to face Aaron Donald and Vaughn Miller. Vaughn Miller is going to be spewing everything he knows when it's time with the Broncos. He's going to be spewing everything he knows about Mahomes. He wants it bad. And I think the Chiefs want the Rams bad, too, even though they don't have a big history with them. I think they want them. So I, I'd love to see Chiefs Rams. 
me too. I think back to that 2018 game that was supposed to be in Mexico City that they ended up playing at the Coliseum in L.A., um, which is one of the all-timers, um, probably you know second or third in recent Chiefs memory behind uh, Sunday night's game against Buffalo. Um, yeah, I absolutely agree with you. You got to beat the best, um, Harold. Where can people find your stuff? <laughs> uh, well, you know, obviously FoxSportKC.com uh, on Twitter, Harold R Kuntz three, the number three. Um, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. That's my handle. Um, I'm not on TikTok often, even though I have a handle, but it's really just more to watch other people. <laughs> and uh, but yeah, that's where you can watch my stuff. FoxSportKC.com. We're obviously available online, so you can always watch our live streams there. So yeah, that's a that's a good that's a good start to try to reach out. All right, Harold, thank you so much. I had a lot more I wanted to ask you, but we'll have you on another time. Um, enjoy the ride, and uh, thank you so much for joining the show. All right, we appreciate it, man. And that was the podcast. Thank you so much to Harold Kuntz for coming on, talking some Chiefs. Absolutely loved having him on. We will drop some episodes sporadically through the next few weeks to catch up on the time we've missed so far. Again, if you like Raw Tools, if you liked the conversation, if you've liked any of the first episodes in this podcast history, please like and subscribe wherever you get podcasts and leave a review. We'd very much appreciate it. We'll see you next Tuesday.